Uh, one of my all-time favorite Christmas songs. Thanks, gang, for doing that. I don't know our new singer over there, Jody. Oh, Joey? Trey's sister. What's your name, Trey's sister? It's good to meet you. Do you live here? Hi. I don't. I live in St. Louis. Well, it's only three hours. All right, come back. Okay. All right, thank you. All right, yeah, thank you, Trey. Thank you, Trey, Catherine's parents, for having her. <laughs> well, the last week before Christmas, what a better time is it now than to talk about hate? Yeah. Got any Grinches in the room today? Some of us sometimes are. Hate, according to Oxford, to feel intense or passionate dislikes for someone. My favorite dictionary is the Urban Dictionary. It's a special kind of love given to people who suck. <laughs> and, of course, the spiritual leader of us all, Yoda. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. Matson Browning is a... Uh, Oh, yes, I love this quote. Just so we're clear, the Grinch never really hated Christmas. He hated people, which is fair. <laughs> yeah. Matson Browning's an ex-cop that worked undercover in um, dealing with white supremacist groups, worked for the FBI undercover. And uh, in his position, he had a front row seat to hate in various shapes and sizes. He saw its causes, and he sees its cure. And he sees how it grows when it is unchecked. He says this. You can read this in the Springfield News Leader archives or the USA Today. He said, hate morphs, and it can pop up anywhere. Just a few examples. A 20-year-old man was beaten to death by young skinheads outside an Arizona pool hall. A man on the train in Oregon screamed anti-Muslim chants at a young woman in Ajib before stabbing two people to death. Vigilantes armed with AR-15s roamed the U.S. border with Mexico, targeting their fellow human beings. Then he says, what I used to hear in the 1990s from skinheads and KKK members in Arizona, what I later learned, heard from guys in khakis and golf shorts, shirts in Virginia, I now hear from college kids and even a member of Congress. Today, hate victims are Jewish students walking to class at Harvard who are verbally and physically assaulted. This time the assault comes from well-educated thugs with a pack mentality hoping to strike fear in the faces of Jewish students who are today's personification of the other. Black, Muslim, Hispanic, gay, Jewish, anyone can be hate's chosen target. Anyone can be the other. On October 7, the day Hamas attacked Israel, the hashtag Hitler was right appeared over 46,000 times in, on social media. More than 46,000 people posted that hashtag. At the same time, the hashtag death to Muslims appeared tens of thousands of times. Anti-Semitic content rose on X 929%, and on Facebook, 287%. Anti-Muslim speech on X jumped 422% on October 7 and 8 and continued to spike an extra 297% over the next several days. 
Brian Levine is a founder of the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism, and he's a professor emeritus at California State University in San Bernardino. And Brian says that the United States right now is experiencing a generational hate spike that is likely to have a longer and more violent half-life than prior event-driven increases. A man in a retirement home decided to sit at lunchtime with a, at a table with a group of people that he did not know. It was shortly after the election of 2016, and a woman said, Finally, we won't have to look at that, and I referred to this person she did with that dehumanizing N-word. Finally, we won't have to look at that in the White House anymore. And the man who was new at the table spoke up and said, look, it's okay for us to have political disagreements, but I am deeply troubled by your using that ugly word. Her response was this, too bad. We can say whatever we really feel now to hell with your political correctness. What that racist woman identified as political correctness used to be just politeness. But we've lost politeness. We've lost kindness. We've lost empathy. We've lost love. We've lost our humanity. As the song says, we need a little Christmas. We need a little hygge. We're in this series called A Cozy Christmas, A Hygge Holiday. Hygge is a Danish term that describes a Danish way of life. It is all about coziness. It's all about a sense of well-being. And that's what is practiced in the Danish culture. We looked last week and the week before at a couple of aspects of Huga. We looked at atmosphere the first week and understood how the light of Christmas creates this atmosphere of, of coziness and comfort and peace. Last week, we looked at the second one, presence, and we're skipping a few of them. Today, we're looking at equality, and we're looking at harmony, and we're looking at a truce. Three things that we are needing in our present world, in this world of hate. We need equality, we need harmony, and we need truce. Takes us to the Christmas story. An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Take a look at that verse up there, and just shout out to me the words that stand out to you from that account of Luke. Anything? Joy? Don't be afraid. It's great joy. I love that word, great. Listen carefully. I like that. Not bad news, huh? I <laughs> know fake media, okay. You've been in church too long. You've heard a lot of fake media. Good news. Anything else I heard? All the people. Absolutely, not just a little bit afraid, absolutely afraid. This word great here is the Greek word mega. Whenever uh, I go get 
back when I would drink Diet Dr. Pepper, I'd probably drink two or three a day, and I'd go to one of the convenience stores. And I just didn't just get a 16-ounce or a 32-ounce. I had this mega mug, <laughs> and it was just great. It really was. And on my deathbed, when it doesn't matter what I eat or drink, I want to get a mega mug of not the diet Dr. Pepper, the real Dr. Pepper <laughs> at that time. Yeah. I love these words. Thank you, Wes, so much. What stood out to me were all these things, but I want to draw attention with you to that word, all. The angels did not say, some people will be blessed, but the others, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. No, the Jesus story is meant to include everybody under this umbrella of love. Rachel Held Evans says, if salvation is available only to Christians, then the gospel is not good news anymore. For most of the human race, it is terrible news. If salvation is only for Christians, the human race has been around for 300,000 years. Jesus has been around for 2,000. What about the salvation for those people 298,000 years before Jesus was born? Rob Bell says, if the gospel is not good news for everybody, then it is not good news for anybody. So how does this gospel, this good news that the angels said to the shepherds, how does it lead us to Huga, to a sense of well-being? I was raised in a religion, and maybe y'all were too, that said the gospel is this. It is saying a prayer, asking Jesus into your heart, so that you will escape heaven and go to hell. Or rather, vice versa. <laughs> some of us would rather escape heaven and go to hell if some of the people we know are in heaven. <laughs> yeah, say this prayer to get into heaven when you die. Today, I see the gospel as very different than I did then. I try to see the gospel, the good news, the way Jesus' disciples saw it. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. So change your mind, repent, and believe the gospel. So what is the gospel? It's about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is a word that combines religious world and the political world. It's religious in that the gospel and the kingdom is about loving God, that's the religious world, and loving your neighbor as yourself. But it's also a political world. And it's a political term that tells us that the kingdom of God and the good news is that it's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven's values that win over the kingdom of Caesar. If Jesus did not want to be political, he could have called this the family of God instead of the kingdom of God, the people of God, the community of God. But he intentionally used a word that contrasted his values with the political values of Caesar. And the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, was not so much about the life beyond after we die. It was about the life that we presently live right now. Several weeks ago, we had Dr. Dominique Crossan in our church as a part of Beer Church. 
and Denise and I were able to host him at our house, and we got a family picture, and there's Dom right there in the middle. He's kind of the Yoda of the historical Jesus. Uh, he's, he's the world's greatest expert on the historical Jesus. And Dr. Crossan, whom he likes to be called Dom, said, you know, it is about, kingdom is about earth, because heaven's in great shape. Earth is where the problems are. So this Jesus, whose birth we celebrate this time of the year, embodied the qualities of the kingdom of God. And the qualities of the kingdom of God were justice and peace. Justice means there's enough for everybody. Nobody goes without. Peace means shalom, well-being for anybody. I can't be at peace if my neighbor's not at peace. I can't be well in my soul if my neighbor's not well in their soul. It's about a community shalom, community peace. It's about equality and harmony and truce, all those things that make huga huga. So how can we be like Jesus and have those as our values today? Jesus embodied those values of equality and harmony. How would you think Christians are doing today with those values of harmony and equality? Yeah. Let's go back to the theologian Charles Schultz. Linus and uh, her, his sister Lucy. Lucy says, this Linus is a picture of the human heart. One side is filled with hate, the other side is filled with love. These are the two forces which are constantly at war with each other. And Linus says, I think I know just what you mean. I can feel them fighting. In the next day's strip, Schultz says through Linus, Lucy says that half of our heart is filled with hate and half is filled with love. And she says this hate and love are always fighting within us, always quarreling, battling, struggling. And Linus feels it and he cries for peace. Huga. Lucy, I don't want my heart to be half love and half hate. I want it to be all love. Good for you, Linus. All you have to do is lean a little to one side. See, now the love will get a chance to spill over into the hate. Yeah. Charlie Brown recognizes there may be more to it than leaning. But I think Lucy's right. Each one of us has within us hate and love. How do we lean toward love? How do we turn our back on hate and lean toward love? Elliot Aronson is one of the greatest sociologists in, in the United States history. And uh, his book, The Social Animal, thank you, Joey Smith, for buying me a copy of that from my college days. But uh, he wrote another book on hate. And Dr. Aronson says, fundamentally, hate stems from an us versus them mentality a psychological inclination to identify with our own group and view others as different or threatening. We see this us versus them in so many different areas of life. We see it in sports. Back in September, a guy named Dale Mooney, a, Mooney, a fan of the New England Patriots, was hit in the face, in the head, by a fan of Miami Dolphins, and it killed him. Died from that altercation. We see this hate, us versus them, in politics, probably more than anything else. The cartoon that I saw in 
a news magazine this week, with all the hatred, conflict, and distrust in the region, the only hope for lasting peace is a two-state solution. Yeah. Not talking about Israel and Palestine, but there is a us-versus-them mentality in the United States. Not sure how long we're able to call it the United States. So what's the solution? Is Lucy right? Can we just lean toward love? Yeah, there's something to that. Every day I have an opportunity. When I'm driving, when I'm at the busy store, when Denisa does something that irritates me, and that hasn't happened in 35 years. (laughs) But whenever anything happens, I have a choice. I can lean toward hate or I can lean toward love. We all have a choice on that. But this is church, so let me give you something more theological. Paul writes, for he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. If you go into this passage of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about blood, he talks about circumcision and uncircumcision, things that we just don't talk about in our daily conversations. When's the last time you sat over coffee and talked about circumcision? But Paul does it all the time. It, it's kind of weird language to us, but not to the people in Ephesus, which is present in, in uh, today's modern Turkey today. So he is talking about two groups of people that are at odds with each other, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And you could tell the difference by the circumcision. So you really never knew, I guess. But they were so diametrically opposed to each other. And we have people today who are diametrically opposed to each other. We have Republicans and Democrats. We have Evangelicals and Progressive Christians. We have, uh, oh, who is it? Daryl Hall and John Oates. (laughs) We have Taylor Swift and Kim Kardashian. People are absolutely at odds with each other. In the Jewish temple that Paul refers to, there, there, there is a dividing wall. Well, he's, he's talking about something literally there. In the temple that was in Jerusalem in Jesus and Paul's day, there was actually a dividing wall that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. And on that dividing wall was this inscription, actual taken from that uh, plaque, around the sanctuary that separate the Gentiles and the Jews. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So Paul makes a bold claim that in Jesus, this dividing wall is level, that there's no more separation between two groups of people, that Republicans and Democrats can be together. Jews and Gentiles can be together. Everyone is equal, everyone is connected, and everyone belongs. And it all boils down to this. We are connected. Let me take you back to Christmas Eve, 1968. Apollo 8 is making a lunar orbit. They come around for the fourth time. 
when the astronauts on board look out the window, this is what they see. Earthrise. The first time any human had ever seen Earthrise. Well, Bill Anders, the mission photographer, scrambled for his camera, and he set the focus on infinity and began to take as many pictures as his camera could, uh, could do. He said this, people realized that we lived on this fragile planet and that we needed to take care of it. This is the only home we have, and yet we are busy shooting each other, threatening nuclear war, and, wear, and wearing suicide vests. It amazes me. The picture that Bill Anders took was probably one of the most influential pictures in American history, maybe the world history. It changed how we saw the world, how we saw the planet. It changed how we saw each other. The image of Earthrise is so peaceful. Taken on Christmas Eve 1968 at the end of a year that was very, very tumultuous. What you can't see from this picture is a blazing war going on in Vietnam in 1968 or a Cold War that is dividing Europe and the United States. What you can't see in Earthrise is what happened earlier in 1968, the assassination of Dr. King and the assassination of Robert Kennedy. From this perspective, there are, is no division on the planet. There are no national borders. Everything that divides us today is invisible at that picture. Socially, culturally, theologically, racially, politically. From this picture, all of those things that divide us today are absent. There's an astronaut by the name of Leland Melvin, who along with other space travelers, tries to look at the images from orbit that they have in their own mind that they photographed and to learn and carry the legacy of Earthrise into the present and into the future. And Leland says this, people realize that we lived on this fragile planet and that we needed to take care of it. This is the only home we have, and yet we are busy shooting at each other, threatening nuclear war, and wearing suicide vests. We are connected. It's 11.01, so I'm going to stop. And I will close with this. Maybe what you and I need to do to lean toward love and away from hate is to get a different perspective. We need an earth rise. We need to see something about each other that says, I am your brother. I am your sister. I am not the other. You are not the other. But we are absolutely connected to one another. I think it's only when we see this connection that love has been created. And I encourage you to realize the connection that already exists and to take advantage of that and to see if hate will dissipate and love will grow. Let's pray, and Joey and Chris will come out and dismiss us. Father, I thank you so very much for the opportunity today. 
to hear the kids sing and how watching kids kind of just makes disappear in our own heart any ill feelings that we have. Help us always see things from a perspective of love and connection. Help us to lean the way of love. In Christ's name I pray, amen.